galaxy far, far away, a brother and sister search for their missing parents. How are we going to find them? We will. Don't worry. And fate leads them to the magical Ewoks. We help you. Now, a great adventure begins. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your other host, Sarah. And welcome to our show where we talk about Star Wars once every week. And I'm so excited to be back, Sarah, because I've been so deathly sick the last couple of days. And for those of you wondering if I sound a little different, that's probably why. I'm going to sound a little different on today's show, a little nasally. Uh, It kind of brings me back to my, like, episode one episode two days of friends of the force uh when i had really bad seasonal allergies and i started this podcast oh my gosh. <laughs> so if you go back and listen to those episodes i just sound congested the whole time i don't know why anybody continued to listen <laughs> from that from that rocky beginning but uh glad you're here sarah with me so I, i've come a long way yeah yeah i mean if you go back to that first episode you may hear his voice kind of like hey guys it's me brad <laughs> oh no oh no i'm kidding well, it doesn't sound like that my my sinuses did clear up by episode uh, number five or four, mm. four uh, when you came on the show for the very first time. So, um, you know, that was when it mattered most. It was it was uh, me saying, go. hey, I'm a presentable human being that you could have a long lasting podcasting career with. So consider, uh, please. And you just had to get your sinuses clear to, to yeah. convey that to me. Let's be real. Would you have continued this endeavor if if the first time we had podcasted together, I was just like blowing my nose like every five seconds? Let's be real. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's true friendship. Uh Everybody find yourself a friend who will sit through the bad times like that. (laughs) Truly, truly. Well, Sarah, I'm so excited today. How how are you doing this week? What's going on in your life? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really busy and trying to do all the things that I need to do and considering the next steps in my life. And, you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure on a girl. So we're making it work, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm trying to make it work, too. We're just all trying our best in these pandemic days. I'm getting dose number two this week. Me, too. Oh, wait, what day are you getting yours? Literally. Less than twelve hours from now. Oh my god! Okay, f- future I'll listeners, already, but that now that I haven't talked about it on social media, so uh, y'all are the first to know. <laughs> oh my god! Crazy breaking news. That's exciting. I'm getting mine Thursday, so it's gonna be a good week for both of us. Yeah, I'm. I I hope that everybody who's listening is also able to get their vaccine doses sooner rather than later if you haven't gotten them yet hoping hoping for you as well so well sarah on top of an already good week we are here to discuss the ewok adventures yeah i'm pretty excited we watched those uh last we week we did it was yeah. a good time was yeah a good time. we're gonna talk about both caravan of courage and the battle for endor so we'll talk a little bit about you know the making of the film and our initial thoughts and also just what we love the most about them and why we thought they're completely silly, but also why they were highly successful for their time and why they're actually pretty decent, old, cheesy 80s films today. Like I watched it 
I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good production quality. So I was, you know, compared to the holiday special, it's, it's starkly different and actually good and actually has a plot. And I was very happy about that. Plot? I have never heard of she. <laughs> I don't know who that is. I don't know. But before we get into the Ewok adventure, Sarah, it couldn't be a Friends of the Forest episode without some big, big news in the world of Star Wars publishing. So to start, we got confirmation that the Monster of Temple Peak, which is Kevin Scott's graphic novel, is coming out in four parts starting in August. So I know you and I were a bit worried about that. You know, we hadn't heard anything from from uh, publishing for that book in a while. So we were getting a little worried. Things have been getting moved around recently, especially after the Mando book got canceled, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, very glad to see that come back. Ty Yorick looks awesome. Uh, it says she plays a pivotal role in uh, Race to Crash Point Tower and Rising Storm. So like, you know, this monster hunter mercenary is just such a badass. Former I'm, I'm Jedi. so excited. Yeah, she's so cool. But how excited were you to, to figure out that this book is actually going to be in our hands at some point at the end of the summer? And also, like, Ty Yorick seems to be, like, a pretty crucial character for this next phase of High Republic stories. I feel like we're only starting to scratch the surface with her. Yeah, for sure. We are definitely only scratching the surface with her. And I'm really excited to learn more about her in these summer's um, books and comics and things. I will say that I am the teeniest bit disappointed that Monster of Temple Peak has gone from a graphic novel to a four-part series or a graphic novel in four parts, Um, but it's being published by IDW, so that means it'll probably come out at the comic book shop as opposed to the bookstore. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bummed not to get it all in one volume, but, you know, if that's the way they're going to go, I'll still get it. I'll still (laughs) read it. It might be a little bit longer for me to read it, though, if it's coming out across a number of months or, or anything like that, just because, and we'll, we'll talk about this at some point on the Patreon, the comic book episode, I am afraid to get invested into comics. And also, I don't feel like it's a good uh, medium for me to read, like, you know, one issue and then wait a month for another issue. Mm-hmm. I'm just not good at that. Yeah, it's tough. I, w- I was doing... I was waiting for trade paperbacks, but I was finding that everything kept getting spoiled for me and it just like kept me out of comics for a good year. Once I moved away from my college campus where I had a reliable books uh, comic store to go to, but Comicsology has been a really great alternative for me because I, I get the issues mm-hmm. automatically on my iPad every week. So I just like, you know, wake up Wednesday morning and read them right before work or after work. And that's been really good for me because I can kind of keep up on everything. But obviously you're paying issue by issue and trade paperback is like the best uh, most cost-effective version of comic reading because it's you know you're paying twelve, thirteen dollars instead of you know twenty potentially. But it's also like so, the most cohesive experience if you're yeah. reading all five issues or all four issues of Monster of Temple Peak all at once. So I hope that ultimately it gets a you know trade paper release and is all together because that's probably ultimately how I'll consume it. Yeah. I, I will say I sometimes can get lost in comics if it's been too long between issues, but I, I have felt like with the High Republic comics, I've been so engaged that I don't actually lose track of what's going on in between issues, even if it is a couple mm-hmm. weeks. And I think that speaks to the strength of, of the comics. But if you want to hear more of our comic thoughts, you should join our Patreon at our $2 tier. We have a uh, series called The Force Pull List. 
where I've been talking about comics. I've been trying to keep up with them. I'm a little behind, but we are going to be doing an episode pretty soon on the High Republic Adventures by Daniel Jose Older. So if you're thinking of maybe listening to more of our conversations on those such things, definitely go over to Patreon and check that out. But Sarah, how about you tell us our last bit of news here before we talk about all things furry murder bears? Our last piece of news, I guess this is the big piece of news, is that we got the details of the next wave of the High Republic stories. And the most key point here is that it looks like this next wave of stories is going to be focusing on the Republic Fair. The Great Republic Fair. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I did know about this a little bit ago. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. I wonder how this is all going to play in. It looks like it's going to be everywhere from the Rising Storm to Crash Point, Race to Crash Point Tower to Out of the Shadows to the 8x8 by George Mann, Showdown at the Fair to the comics, I hear. So it's going to be everywhere. And what were your takeaways from this big announcement? Yeah, I just I'm excited that the High Republic is sort of following this structure of like big event or big set piece. And then a bunch of stories around that. So like clearly the first phase was the Great Disaster and Hetzel. Now mm-hmm. it's like the Republic Fair. And then like what's the next set piece after that? So I think that's like a really effective way of storytelling, especially when you have different mediums and different storytelling genres like young adult and middle grade all weaving together. So it makes it very easy to kind of keep those stories aligned with each other. But to me, the big thing is these stories are taking a lot of characters that are from separate books and now mishmashing them together. In, in one single book. So like you have for Justina Ireland's book, you have a new character, Sylvester Yarrow, but you also have Vern and Imri from A Test of Courage meeting Comac and Wreath from Into the Dark. And they're working together on a mission to figure out, you know, this property dispute and and you know why are they being called back to Coruscant and why do they have to go monitor this empty patch of space and you know there's some truths and some new abilities that are going to be understood. So it's kind of cool to see those characters start to interact. Likewise, you know, Stellan Gios and Bel Zetafar are back, uh, Elzar Mann, and then Marchion Rowe is coming back to the, the Republic Fair as well to, you know, with the Nile, while the Drengir are attacking the Starlight Beacon. There's a lot of bad shit happening for the Jedi. <laughs> They're in a really <laughs> yeah. bad spot. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's what I'm most excited about. It kind of feels like a team up, uh, a wave of uh, team ups that are uh, coming and it's nice to see those characters get developed and then Mm -hmm. interact more together, which I'm excited for. I'm really excited for out of the shadows and the fact that we're going to get this new character who seems really interesting, but also, you know, Vernon Emery from the middle grade and Comac and Reef, who we met in YA all to meet in a YA kind of setting. I think it'll be really interesting to see how Justina interprets Wreath and Emery for a YA audience, if that makes sense. Like, I think it'll be really interesting once Comac and Wreath show up in a major way in the adult books, you know, because you're able to talk about them in a slightly different way. You're able to take them on a little bit different type of adventure based on the audience you're writing for. So I'll be really curious to see how they interact with one another and also how they just interact with the medium. Yeah, that's that's the exciting part. And also Justina taking the the baton from Claudia and saying, here, I'm going to I'm going to write your characters now. So that's the trust mm-hmm. that each of these authors are placing in each other. 
Yeah. And it's cool that they're not just boxing themselves into only having, hey, you you can only write Wreath or you can only write Vern. It's like, no, anybody can write these characters. But Sarah, I will say our last point here, probably the mm-hmm. most important point of all. Yeah. The High Republic Adventures number six uh-huh. is described, quote, as the galaxy prepares for the Republic Fair, Court and Farzala leave their Padawan friends to join Leox, Gyasi, and the crew of the vessel on a secret mission for the Jedi. What could possibly go wrong? As it turns out, literally everything. Sorry, I was just reading that. I was reading slightly ahead of you. As it turns out, colon, literally everything. Literally everything. We, we said that a lot in the podcast. I feel like we do that a lot. We're like, what could go wrong? Everything. Everything. We, we've I said mean, that's, that multiple times. That's the High Republic to a T. Like, yeah, all we gotta, is well. But everything is fine. And then, like, and then the meteor comes and crashes us standing on the balcony going, ah, everything's great. <laughs> I have a t-shirt idea. We'll talk later. But oh, okay, I want to cool. I want to say I want to say the, the 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 vessel crew showing up in comic form. That means we're going to get like geode in a comic. Okay. Okay. Yes. Also, if we get geode from the front side and the back side, the Ooh. um it, well, here's why I here saying Oh, show me here's what you're I, working with on that back no. side. Um geode? I was just going to say that the the um Rebel Legion can write a True. costume thing for it i think if you get all angles of it so um if we get geode's backside you can cosplay as the rock Ofi- like quote unquote officially <laughs> listen he's got you can he's got as that the rock unofficially or, or however officially you want to make it I, I i'm not i'm not necessarily a person to join the costuming clubs but i do find it funny they're like okay once we get the back angle of this we can finally write the the requirements for this costume and i'm like what if we get people in geode like official geode or like hold on uh or what if we get people in screen accurate geo <laughs> screen accurate rock screen you know accurate rock, yeah. he's he's thick he, he's thick I'm, I'm i'm ready to see what he's working with so you know let it more, let him do what he wants he's a wild man geode content is you thrilling. know <laughs> yeah i'm just excited maybe it will unveil answers of how he moves that's what i wanted to know so maybe if we get it in comic form we'll better understand or maybe he'll just be sitting there the whole time in the same position and then just sporadically moving and we don't know we don't understand how. So to be determined. And now I'm going to play my Geode uh, cosplay for celebration. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I got you. Well, that about wraps it up for our publishing news, Sarah. So now I'm pretty excited to travel in our Star Cruiser. Star Cruiser! Star Cruiser! Star Cruiser! To the, to the forest moon of Endor. Think about it, people. You got the... You got the the trees bristling. You got some nice pine woods. Mm. Um, you got the the grass. You got the bunnies. Uh, you got the little Ewoks running around. You kind of hear the tribal drums in the background. They're probably cooking some stormtroopers up. We're going to Endor, folks. Full throttle. Get yourselves ready, because we are now talking about the Ewok adventures. Tonight, a special presentation of the ABC Sunday Night Movie. From the creators of the Star Wars saga, a world premiere presentation. A bold adventure of courage and daring. Where heroes become legends, and the only thing you can be sure of is magic. Lucasfilm's The Ewok Adventure. Star Cruiser crashed. Star Cruiser has crashed. We are terrible pilots, Sarah. Yeah. What yeah. could go wrong? Literally everything. <laughs> Literally everything. Okay, so 
let's set the scene. We watched the Ewok adventures for the first time last yes. week. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. It was. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, I, mm-hmm. I I was coming off the holiday special being my only live action Star Wars outside the main films back in like the seventies and eighties, and that didn't leave the best taste in my mouth. You um, mean you again, didn't love learning about Life Day? Listen, I I actually do love the holiday special, but like it's not the best, you know. So I wasn't sure if I was ready to sit through three more hours of like that sort of quality, and. I was very pleasantly surprised. I think I had my expectations low and they were like very far exceeded for the Ewok films because they're just Mm. a lot of fun. They're, you know, old eighties cheesy film that really feels kind of like, you know, if you were a kid watching this, you could really envision yourself in this universe. Like I think Sindel and, and, and Mace are totally like self inserts for every kid watching this film and being like, Oh, that could be me. Like with the Ewoks on this like grand adventure of, you know, uh, rescue our friends from a castle or go into the cave and defeat the Gorax. You know, it's like all the things that you envisioned as a kid playing with action figures or pretend- pretending to be in Star Wars in a movie. And it was just a lot of fun. But what were your thoughts on, on the Ewok adventures? These movies were surprisingly solid and also really fun to watch with friends, a.k.a. you. <laughs> um, I'm sad we didn't watch the second one together, but obviously there were reasons why that didn't happen. <laughs> sickness busyness life Very you know sick. but it was super fun to watch it with with you and also just these were really fun and i understand why people enjoyed them and why people enjoyed them in the 80s and also why people enjoyed them today and i'm glad i watched them i love teak oh my god yeah teak is legendary we were trying to find a teak shirt for you and all we could find was like that one oversized t-shirt. Oh no, there's another one. That, it's orange. Oh, there is? It's orange oh. and it says Teak Love. What? Yeah. I'll send oh, it you got to gotta send that to me. We should get it's matching on, Teak shirts. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now we're talking. Now we're talking. No, I think I need the Teak Funko Pop is what I'm thinking, honestly. Ooh. Teak, Teak is fantastic. I learned that Teak, played by Nikki Patello, so they shot Nikki at one frame a second as Teak. And then they sped all of those one frames per second up to 24 frames per second. They played it at 24 frames per second. So they're basically playing these frames 24 times the speed. So Teak runs 24 times normal pace. Which is incredible. Incredible. Like, put him in the Olympics. Olympics are less than 100 days away. I don't know if Team USA needs some, some more track and field runners. Throw him in, coach. Get Teak in there. He'll win all the gold medals. It'll be great. Do you agree? Do you agree that Teak should be an Olympian? Yeah. What the heck? Why not? Let's do it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge Teak fan, though. And I, I think the thing I love most about these films was it felt very natural because mm-hmm. Star Wars is so, like, it is sci-fi in a lot of ways. There's a lot of spaceships and there's a lot of lasers and there's a lot of uh, unnatural, mystical things that are happening. And there's some of that in, the, in this movie. Like, you know, there's the pond that Mace falls into and he can't get out of. And mm-hmm. there's a little bit of magical elements, uh, a, a magical element there. But for the most part, this movie just feels so tapped into the natural environment, you know, with all the different animals. I mean, we see horses, we see chickens, we see alpacas, we see a goat, we see lizards. Uh, we, we see the crystal, I think, is what turns into a lizard. 
it's just ridiculous. It's like, oh, I didn't know those animals existed in the Star Wars universe. And I was like, I guess I guess Endor is a little more natural and connected to our own world than I would have thought. Obviously, they're filming this in in Marin County, California. So that is why, you know, much of <laughs> you were making the joke constantly that like, oh, it doesn't look very foresty. This is a forest moon? <laughs> Sounds fake. But okay. Because <laughs> like the first landscape shot we got, I was like, this definitely wasn't filmed in California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, that, you, that's exactly what you said. But, you know, the, these, these, both of these movies were just like campy and, and fun in the best way. And yeah. It didn't it didn't feel out of place despite the fact that you you were like, "Oh, I know exactly where this is. This seems a little weird, but yeah. I'm just going to go with it." And it Yeah, worked. yeah. I think the film succeeds in not trying to do more than what it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I don't think it it necessarily takes itself too seriously, but it also has some like really nice heartwarming things to say. And you know, the end of the first film ends with that that really heartwarming quote of courage, loyalty, and love are the strongest forces of the universe. And we were both like, aw, that's so nice. That's so yeah, nice. That's, that's so sweet and positive. I mean, we just need that sort of positivity nowadays. The the world's tough. But Sarah, where does this where does this take place in Star Wars? Like where is this in the timeline? Because that was like one of the questions that I was scratching my head over the entire film, wondering like where are we? What's going mm-hmm. on? Have the, have, has the when Empire come here? Yeah. When are we? Um, what's going on? What's the timeline look like? Well, you're not the first person to ask that question because Eric Walker asked that question on set. He played Mace and Thomas Smith, I believe, who was a producer, um, said that it was 150 years after Return of the Jedi. But that'd be a little weird considering Wicked is still a child. So <laughs> Leland Chi holocron keeper a guy with a little bit of authority on this kind of stuff (laughs) a little bit of knowledge you know (laughs) says that essentially takes place about four aby so we're talking before mandalorian after rotage return of the jedi (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah yeah well, because there's also that Legends book I found out called Tyron's Test, and apparently Sindel is in it, a mentioned only, I think, ah. and she becomes a reporter on Coruscant, which I thought was interesting. Iconic. Yeah. So it makes sense that this would happen after Return of the Jedi, right? Because like mm-hmm. Wicket learns basic. He doesn't speak basic to Leia, mm-hmm. unless he's just trying to fool her and doesn't know who she is. So he's keeping his he you was know, cards to close to his her. vest. You know, <laughs> he's trying to play he tricks. was trying to fuel her and then it was the bum, 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 tiktok sound <laughs> <laughs> like the conspiracy tiktok noise oh yeah <laughs> but I, this would make sense it is after return of the jedi and uh it, it was just it was just kind of uh interesting to think about because we don't see much of bright tree village obviously it's a very di- different setting than like what we see in return of the jedi you know we don't have as much as much of a set necessarily to go off of. I mean, we like, we see Lau Gray, who is like one of my favorite Ewoks. He's the guy that points the stick in, in Han's face and, and he goes, Hey, point that thing somewhere else. And they go, Oh God. And then they all point their sticks at him again. He's like, Hey. <laughs> and, uh, so he's like one of my favorites for that. Cause he just, stuck, he stuck up to Han Solo and he just felt like it. Yeah. Han Solo, you're nothing. Nothing. 
But how do you feel these movies compared like stylistically, tonally to Star Wars? Like, does it feel like it's almost its own pocket universe? Because again, we don't really play with the forest. We don't play with the Empire in these films. We don't play with the Re- Rebellion. I mean, Mace is wearing a, 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 an outfit that is very indicative of, rebel, of a rebel pilot's outfit, the orange jumpsuit. So you kind of get some hints of that. And I think mm-hmm. one of the uh, young Ewoks are playing with an Adat toy at some point. But overall, like, do you feel like it feels so separated where you can almost disassociate from Star Wars and just like kind of watch a fun movie about a bunch of tiny bears? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to my, to my eye, as somebody who grew up in the prequel era and got in this fandom in a podcasting sense, you know, to that point in the sequel era, it feels stylistically similar to the originals because it is made in that same time period. So there, there is a, a sense of continuity with the technology, the filming, the, the spaces that they're inhabiting in order to make this film. At the same time, it does feel disconnected from the movies and is enjoyable on its own and feels somewhat similar to the books or to the animated shows that are a part of this world but don't necessarily connect to the Skywalkers 100% of the time. And yeah, it, it makes them watchable. It makes them fun and not all that serious. I think we take the Skywalker saga very seriously sometimes to our to our betterment and our detriment. And I really didn't need to do that with these movies. So it was fun in that way. Do you think that's part of maybe why the holiday special suffered? Like do you think that if the holiday special didn't have, you know, like Luke, Leia Han, Chewie, like do you think it could have maybe breathed on its own a little bit i feel like this is part of i think you're getting a little bit to why i think these movies work because it is so separated and so there's not that expectation of like you know the holiday special was the first thing after a new hope so people are like oh we're getting new star wars and it's just like not at all what they expected so like now it's like oh we're getting new star wars but it's like totally a separate thing and it was still highly successful way more successful than the holiday special um ironically enough this you know caravan of courage was originally called the Ewok holiday special when it was being drafted and they they changed that name for obvious reasons (laughs) because they didn't want that you know same association but do you think that's part of it I mean it could be but even if you take away the Skywalkers you still have stir whip stir whip 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 stir you still have the weird sexy soft porn dance you still have also true. all of the weirdest elements of the holiday special. So I guess you're right. They aren't yeah, that yes involved, no. actually. Yeah. It's more I mean, they're story. kind of there. I mean, it definitely has elements of that. You think of the shopkeeper. Um, right. Who is actually working or on, in, in cahoots with Han and Chewie. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I don't think that the Skywalkers are the, I don't want to say detriment, but like are the sticking point Mm -hmm. of that piece of media. And I just, I just think because they went with like the vignette route as well with the holiday special, that's where it kind of got lost. I think where Ewoks succeeds is that they're both narrative 
features. Mm-hmm. They have a beginning, middle, end with these characters following one story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite literally like a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, also metaphorically, you know, you're you're literally in nature, so it's very fresh. But also, it it's is. just so yeah. it's so disconnected, like you're saying. And I think that's what makes it very easy to sit down and just watch it and not necessarily feel the stakes of the Skywalker saga or feel the stakes of all those characters that could be connected. And like, I could see myself going back and, and rewatching these easily. Oh yeah, and and it makes so much sense that they were, you know, kind of beloved in the time that they came out because. They are perfectly serviceable kids' movies, family movies. If if something comparable was made today with the updated technologies and stuff, but essentially followed the same story, I think these would be pe- movies that people would enjoy because they are mm-hmm. they're perfectly fine kids' movies. They're quite enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would love more more types of these movies specifically for the kids, and you know that's. That's part of why these were created in the first place, which we'll get to in just a second. But I think one of the biggest things that I, I learned about these movies is they're actually really important. And I think they were part of Lucas's forward thinkingness because I think the Ewok adventures, you know, they aired on ABC. They weren't in the movie theater uh, except for in Europe. These all aired Sunday night, ABC movie night. And for Lucas, he was talking to Starlog magazine in issue number 100, and he told them, quote, I hadn't done any TV, and it was a chance to use many people in the company who hadn't done, who hadn't had much experience with live action production and experiment a little. The economics of TV are vastly different than the economics of film. It was done for very little money. Lucas is forward thinking in a way that he's talking about the economics of TV versus film, right? And then now you look at the economics of TV in the current day. An episode of The Mandalorian or a season costs $120 million, whereas like a, a movie is going to cost you 200 to $300 million plus all the marketing, plus the distribution. It is, it is you got to make your pretty penny back, like big time. It's really interesting that Lucas is talking about the money aspects of it versus TV and film. And he's right, because ultimately they're making narrative features in both of these spaces. But the audience for TV, the return for TV is completely different than it is in film. And I believe they only had a budget of $3.5 million, if I remember correctly, for Mm -hmm. the first one. And that is not a ton of money. And so it's interesting to see how you can make movies on a budget and how we can look at movies versus TV back then and also movies versus tv now and how those lines have definitely blurred in the last 10 years or so and even even like going back to then stack that three million up to the budget of empire strikes back and return of the jedi which are around 30 million dollars so i mean that's a huge i i don't know if that's exactly accounted for inflation or not but that might it might still be but again there's a huge divide there like you're saying Mm-hmm. So the yeah the return on costs is is good for TV because you get a lot more people viewing it, especially just something that people can tune in on a Sunday night you know right before their big crime show of the week that they all wait for and this is on right beforehand it's just like oh why not watch this Ewok movie we got a bunch of kids with us that can you know they'll keep them busy for two hours um, and that was kind of part of the stipulation of of why this film was made because when they went to 
a bunch of studios to pitch this. ABC was the only one that wanted to do it. And they said, no, it has to be two hours. Like we need people to tune in and keep watching our programming the entire night. Cause they're up against, mm-hmm. you know, at that point there's only what ABC, NBC and CBS, you know, maybe not that far back, but the, the networks are very limited in terms of primetime slots. So the competition's even higher. So like the more you can stand sure. out, you know, get something like star Wars and your slate is a pretty big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting the energy that people had watching this film on TV. You said, I believe you mentioned it before, but if you didn't mention the specific, about 65 million people watched Caravan of Courage. Those are crazy numbers. Mm -hmm. So the people really turned out for it, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they almost made a third film. Uh, George Lucas said it was getting too expensive, I think. So... It was that was kind of interesting how those costs started to go up. And, you know, as he said, that the economics are very different. It, it starts to seem that, you know, as you were saying nowadays, uh, a Mandalorian episode is still 10 million. So that's a pretty that's a pretty sizable thing. So it's 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 definitely no joke. But I do love that he gave other people at the company, you know, experience in live action that might have not gotten it on the original trilogy movies. So to really develop his crew at ILM and, and Lucasfilm. There were a lot of critical people involved in the Ewok adventures, you know, like Joe Johnston and Phil Tippett. Um, one thing I did learn, Sarah, which just mm-hmm. like blew my mind. David Fincher, the the David Fincher, like Oscar winning director David Fincher. He was a part of Caravan of Courage. He worked in Industrial Light and Magics matte photography unit as a as a photographer this is unreal and he also i learned that he was was an assistant cameraman on return of the jedi so this is actually kind of where he got his start was like these first couple films there was one film he did before return of the jedi but return of the jedi and caravan of courage were his next two projects after that so it was at like i just i can't i can't wrap my head around david fincher being involved in the caravan of courage movies it's just like how well, it's like when we were talking about THX and we were like, oh, yeah, he was just chatting with Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's just crazy to think that, again, we think of all of these filmmakers as separate from one another and living in their own bubbles when they all have relationships with each other and worked with each other or knew each other, critiqued one another's work. It's wild to think about how small the top is. Yeah, I mean, sense. I mean, just think if it weren't. For Caravan of Courage, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have Fight Club, we wouldn't have Zodiac, we wouldn't have the Social Network, Gone Girl, uh, Mank, which is now awesome, nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Thank you, Caravan of Courage. Thank you for your service. Again, I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not actually saying that, but however, it is it but was important. But you are. But you are important. saying that you're saying you know, that because everything is cause and effect. The butterfly you effect. Make yeah. To choices down the road. So yeah. All right, well, Sarah, with that being said, let's move into our discussion on Caravan of Courage. What were you guys talking about? About the Star Cruiser and the crack. Come on, Sam, don't get an idea. You can't talk. You can talk. Talk, talk. Boy, the Star Cruiser. Starship crash. <laughs> Again, it, it crashes so many times. Starship crash. Starship crash. 
Caravan of Courage is directed by John Cordy, written by Bob Corot, and the story is by George Lucas, who also is an executive producer on the film. So a little background on the uh, what was originally titled The Ewok Adventure. Uh, it was a $3 million budget, like we said, filmed about five miles from Skywalker Ranch. Uh, Lucas made the film because his daughter Amanda liked the Ewoks a lot from Return of the Jedi, so she wanted a movie made about them, and Lucas was just like, well, yeah, I gotta be a good dad, so uh, I'll make the film for you, Amanda. So he goes to make this film. That was a great impression, I know. I've been trying all week while I've been sick. Good. That was good. <laughs> very, very good. So... He makes this film, uh, it's, it's, it gets really great reception, like we said, 65 million viewers is the second highest on ABC that year. Two Emmy nominations, one for Outstanding Children's Programming and one for Outstanding Special Visual Effects, which was uh, the, the only one they, they uh, took home that year. Uh, and this movie also got a limited release in Europe, with uh, Drew Struzan coming in to do some beautiful artwork for it. That's when the title got changed to Caravan of Courage in Europe. And uh, this is also when it eventually made its way to France, Sarah, mm-hmm. where the, uh, the best bop of all time. I cannot believe I didn't know about this song. Les uh, Petites le- Ewoks? Yeah, by Dorothy. I'm going to play it right now. <laughs> So that that song, they took Peter Bernstein's amazing score on the credits of the Caravan of Courage, and they replaced it with this song by Dorothy, the singer. Iconic. Iconic. Like, what were your like when you first heard the song? Were you just like, "What is happening?" And also, just like, did that just every single Star Wars song you've ever known just completely get usurped by this dark horse that we just <laughs> discovered? <laughs> um, no, to the latter. Okay. I can't yeah. say the same. Oh, well, that's okay. Um, we like to share our differing opinions on this show. <laughs> um, as for listening to it, not knowing what's going on, I mean, yes, that's because I don't speak French. Um, but I was just also wondering why. Why did this happen? I'm, I'm in, in very Benoit Blanc fashion. I don't get it compels me though <laughs> i suspect foul play it yeah. compels me though it, so. com- it compelled all of us i was it's, it's weird but it, i but i like it yeah i i watched the whole song it's just her and a green screen of the ewok so footage weird. behind her and she's just kind of dancing she's got like a, a an outfit on that kind of matches the 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 she's in the films yeah exactly yeah yeah so, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> French were having a great time. I need to listen to more, like, French songs, I feel like, after that. Like, I'm, I'm just not listening to nearly enough, enough French music. But they wanted to turn uh, this, this Ewok movie into a TV series and use Caravan of Courage as the pilot. And George said, no. So, they didn't. <laughs> I gotta really tune that up. It's, it's not great. It's not great. <laughs> It's funny, though. Yeah. But did you want to talk a little bit about the, what happened in Caravan of Courage? Like, what went down? There was some, there was some scary stuff. We, we, you know, we went there and back again. It's like the yeah. Hobbit. 
yeah. Um, so if you want to know what happens in Caravan of Courage, you can go ahead and read The Hobbit um, by J.R.R. Tolkien. You can find it at your local <laughs> bookstore. No, I, I'm joking. Although I do get serious Lord of the Ring of vibes from it. Yeah. Basically. And we will be talking Mom, spoilers, by the way, in oh, this episode. Yeah. From here yeah. on out. So. Mom and Dad have been captured by the Gorax after the starship crashes. Starship crash. Sindel, age four. Mace, age teen. (laughs) 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 Meet up with some Ewoks. And ultimately, they go on an adventure of a lifetime. It could be called a caravan. And you could say they had to be courageous. I would say that both of those things are accurate. To go save their parents from the Gorax. And do they do it, Brad? Do they save their parents? Oh, Oh, they save them all right. They save them, and they have a nice party afterwards by the fire in Bright Tree Village. It's a great time. Wicket, I can only imagine, did many keg stands that night. That guy, <laughs> that guy is crazy. Yeah, so they, they, they killed the Gorax, though. I mean, it was, a, it was a very epic moment. I Like you said, it was very Lord of the Ringsy. You know, it kind of felt... Like, throughout the journey, they're gathering their Ewok allies, and they're all, you know, there's a lot of us different establishing shots of them all kind of walking single file. And it reminded me of all of those silhouette shots from the Lord of the Rings franchise of, like, you know, the Fellowship walking on the hill towards, like, you know, the Misty Mountains or uh, towards Weathertop, and you're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's the stuff. And Peter Bernstein's score is so good in this. Like, I need to try to see yes. if it's on Spotify, because I would listen to it over again. I found myself throughout this movie kind of going, oh, that's kind of nice. I kind of like that. That's a good moment. And I thought that the music really in, in the first one, especially, and I guess we're talking about the first one right now, in Caravan of Courage, enhanced the movie a lot and made it really fun. But moving on from the music, Brad, do we want to talk about the ceremony of the sacred tokens from the legendary Ewok warriors, aka the Nine Rings? Oh, <laughs> Oh, I didn't think of it that way, but yes, let's tell tell us about it. Okay, so everybody that's going on this caravan of courage gets a token from Logray. Deej is given the white wings of hope, which is um a crown. Weechi is given the red wings of courage. You see where the courage element comes in, listeners. Wicked is given the walking stick of magic. I love how magic comes into this. What do you think about the magical element of this movie? Because we don't necessarily get the magic. And I'm, I'm pausing our segment to go on this tangent because I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, with Star Wars, you have the Force. But in this, you have, again, you have like a crystal turning into a lizard. You have a, a woman in the Battle of Endor who turns into a raven. You have a magic pond that can trap you underwater and make you not come up from that water, and it almost kills Mace. Uh, so I think that was, again, part of the natural element of this movie, of just, like, it doesn't feel necessarily connected to the very sci- Like, doesn't connected doesn't feel connected to the sci-fi artery of Star Wars. It feels more connected to, like, the weird stuff that you would get from, like, you know, between the world, the world between worlds and- the uh night sisters and stuff like that it feels connected to that artery of star wars you know much much different one but still an artery of the of of the beating heart that is the franchise so i i i liked that part of this 
of these movies that that was explored versus just being like, oh, you know, Sindel's force sensitive, whoopee. You know, like it's not it's not just <laughs> that, right? She's not force sensitive at all. Neither is Mace. It's just the Ewoks and these these trinkets that they have, these tokens that, you know, give them the things. Although, you know, is it is it really the things that are giving them courage and hope and strength and light? You know, I mean, we see here that Whittle, he gets the blue wings of strength and Sindel gets the candle of pure light and Which Mace gets doesn't it. burn down. Right. It's like an eternal flame, essentially. Yes, and uh, it is. Ma- Jesus. It really is. And Mace gets a rock, which, I mean, Mace, you're kind of acting like a jerk the whole film, so you kind of deserve it. Um, but I understand, you know, he's the big brother of the group. He feels a lot of responsibility, and he also feels like Sindel is maybe more special than he is. You know, she got the candle, he got the rock. I think he's a little envious of that, and I think him, Oh yeah. you know, looking into the pond is a little is a little representative of him trying to be a little bit full of himself and maybe too prideful to, you know, look within himself to find something. And, you know, in getting lost and looking at his own reflection, he falls into the pond and, you know, it almost consumes him in a way. So it kind of speaks to narcissism and like, you know, just not, you know, being so concerned with yourself anyways. uh, But, you know, I think those are all great things to consider. Is it a pseudo effect? Are these, are these things actually giving them the the strength they desire the courage they desire or it you know is it kind of kind of one of those things as a kid you know you put on the costume as a as a um as a kid and you pretend you're a jedi and it mm. gives you the strength of a jedi and you feel like you have the strength of a jedi because you're playing as one you know is this the same thing here is this like you know kids dressing up at home watching these ewok movies like like the ewoks are dressing up i feel like it's a little bit of both and i i don't want to miss out on our caravan of courage um chukatrak given the ivory teeth r.i.p chukatrak also the priestess given the crystal right i just don't want to leave them out because um salute to chukatrak um (laughs) but uh in in terms of like is it the is it them finding the power within themselves or is the magic i think it's both and these movies as we were talking a little bit earlier, like these movies definitely lean on the fantasy element of Star Wars. It's interesting to see the space opera more rooted in the science fiction of it. And the force is a bit more mystical than magic, if that makes sense. Um, Lean into that. Whereas these movies really lean into the magical, fantastical element of it all. And I hadn't really considered your likening of the magic in this movie to World Between Worlds and the Night Sisters, more, those more mystical, very out there sort of elements to Star Wars. But I think that's I think that's fairly fair, in the sense that it's definitely one of those more unexplainable things, and leans more into the fantasy element of Star Wars. And I think it's a bit of both. Coming back to the question, yes, the magic helps them on their way. The fact that the candle doesn't burn down is helpful in a tangible way to to Sindel. But also the fact that, you know, Mace is only given a rock and he's the one that has to use that. And he has to want, he's the one that has to find the courage in himself and the strength in himself to make that move and accept that gift. Um means that he's figuring it out for himself so it's i think it's a little bit of both yeah yeah absolutely because they're saying you know even though you didn't get one of these these wings you got a rock 
to think of Harry Potter, it's not the wand that makes the wizard. It's it's the wizard, right? See, there's the fantasy element. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's when I get the most excited about Star Wars is when we get that fantasy side because you think of Star Trek, right? I mean, you have these spaceships. It's very rooted in our real world, but it feels very futuristic. You have like things called phasons and, and all this other stuff. I'm not a good Trekkie, so I, I can't speak fully to it, but it feels more... Phasers and Klingons. Yeah, I was close. I was close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a fake fan. You put obviously. the two elements together. <laughs> yes. But that feels more hard sci-fi, whereas Star Wars is very unique in that it is sci-fi. It is futuristic, but you get to play with a lot of those fantastical elements. You know, the things that you experience in the Lord of the Rings with uh, wizards like Gandalf and, Radag- and Radagast and Saruman. And that's what I just loved about this film was it did, mm. it did feel like... St- Lord of the Rings had finally kind of inserted itself into Star Wars and why I enjoyed it so much is because it explored that side that really does interest me and you know I think I'm more attached to those fantastical elements when I when I consume Star Wars it's why I want more weird force stuff it's why I love the Night Sisters it's why I love Rebels because Rebels really went there with that stuff um you know Ahsoka she's so attached to all of that as well which is why I love her all connected you know and she even ahsoka right she shows up at the end of rebels she's got the white cloak on just like gandalf you know she's her own kind of wizard figure now you know she's been through it she's seen the other side you know she's kind of like gandalf falling down the balrog pit and coming back out as the white you know gandalf the white anyways i'm going on lord of the rings tangent here suffice to say i love fantasy probably more than sci-fi but i love when fantasy is sci-fi it's it's fantastic. It's great. This is why these movies are fun, and that's why they're perfect for kids. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so good. See, and that's what makes us a great pair here, because I love the science fiction more than the fantasy, and I relate more to the the science, not the science of it all, but the the more rooted stuff, even though I love Weird Force stuff. Um, I really do, but I, I love the grounding in science fiction, and the fantastical element of this movie really reminds me of other contemporary fantasy movies for kids like The Neverending Story which came out in 1984 so super contemporary to these two movies they all make sense together as a unit and I like the fantastical element not only for the audience and the literally the audience's place but being kids and TV or families and TV but also in this time period it makes a lot of sense that we were leaning into the fantasy elements of it all do you think there's any direct connections between the never-ending story and, and this that you think really stand out when you look at these two films side by side? Like, is there anything that you see as a common through line to the recipe of this type of film besides those fantastical elements? Is there something about it that really just, like, grabs you and pulls you in? It's I haven't seen story. Never-Ending Story, honestly. I've so seen it I, once. Yeah. It's not my favorite, but it was my cousin's favorite, so we watched it. And... It has some of the same elements. It has difficult moments uh, of, you know, tough emotions. It has the adventure aspect of it. And it has overall the family storybook element where these characters are kind of brought into this fantastical land and given, having, given a new identity, having to take on a new role uh, within the story. So I think there's a lot of connections there, especially with the ages of these characters as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about 
Mace and Sindel. This is not their neck of the woods. They are from a different planet. They are not tapped into the natural side of the universe as much. Very, very unfamiliar territory for them, but they're forced to adapt, you know? And we look at Mace. He makes that final kill on the Gorax uh, when the Gorax is climbing back up the cliff, which I was just like, how, Gorax? Get, get down. Get him down from there. I was like, he's dead. He's yeah. not dead. <laughs> but you have this whole buildup of Mace learning kind of how to fend for himself in the wild with the axe. And he ends up using Chukatrox's axe at the very end. And they have that moment earlier in the film where he tries to one-up Chukatrox by hitting the, 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 the bullseye on the tree. And Chukatrox, I was like, he's not going to do it. He's not going to, Chukatrock's not going to do this. And he did it. He threw the axe. It didn't hit the bullseye. He hit the other axe <laughs> square in the middle on the handle. And I was like, dang, Chukatrock just dropped the mic. Chukatrock might be one of my favorite Star Wars characters. And I have to say, super upset that he died. Add him into my list of, of Star Wars characters, deaths that have left a, a very remarkable uh, imprint on me. Um, sad one at that alongside Shmi and Ben Solo and, and, and Boga the Veractal. Mm. They're, all, they're all up there. Ooh. I'm very sad about all of them. But what did you think of that side of it? Where, like you were saying, you know, you get thrown into, uh, you get, kind of get thrown into this uh, as a character and you just have to adapt. And for Mace, he ends up making a, a big, bold move of courage, uh, at, you know, right after saying goodbye to Chukatrock and thanking him for, you know, showing him the way basically it was kind of mm-hmm. it was kind of a beautiful moment like what did you think of that journey i thought it was great and he really had to grow up in a in a meaningful way in order to be his own hero and be a person not only for himself but to to save others and i appreciated that yeah cuz i think he was more in it for himself throughout the film and it was nice to see him make that you know, that, he that face turn at the end. Yeah, he thought he was above it. I mean, there's one moment in the movie where he goes, this place is for kitties. And I was like, girl, you are a kitty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, when you get to that age where you're just like, ugh, I'm too old for this. And it's like, you're 12. <laughs> you're like, you're definitely not what, too old. <laughs> that's the experience that Mace is going through in this movie. And for him to say, OK, I'm actually going to step up and be a responsible person here and do what I need to do for not only for myself, but for everybody. Good stuff. Good, good fun stuff. Didn't hate Mace by the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he definitely, he grew on me for sure. There's a lot of great moments in this film, just a lot of great funny moments. You know, the, the moment when the Gorax picks up the ax and there's Ewok hiding behind it, but especially one of the most lighthearted moments were the Wispies, the fairy folk. Uh, which, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, uh, again, fairy folk, fan- yeah. that, that's like a core fantastical element of like, you know, those old uh, myths and fables that we read as kids, right? So it was so fun to see the Wispies who are these like little, you know, small fairies, like Tinkerbell almost, Tinkerbell size, flying around their tent and Sindel's laughing, they're all laughing. And then you have Queen Isrina, who is, uh, you know, transforms from the candle that was given to, to Sindel. It's alive. It's one of those lights. Be careful with her. 
Look, she's dancing around like crazy. Maybe she's lost from her family. Like us, all our families are split up. Even wickets. His mom and his baby sister, they're way back there. You gave up a lot to help us. You guys have become really good friends. I love the Wispies. What did you think of the Wispies? They move so quick. They're so They're cute. They're so cute. Major chaos yeah. vibes, but like, love that. Um, and you mentioned, you mentioned. Oh, God. When we were watching this movie. This is crazy. No, no, this is, this is a, this no is a it's good crazy, one. though. Yeah. Okay, you know what I'm about to say. That when you're playing Ewok Hunt on Battlefront, are the Wispies what are what comes around your head? you know when you when you do the move and i was like whoa we love that continuity of canon not no longer yeah. canon, but also still kind of canon canon that was crazy crazy but awesome i have no other explanation for what those things are i might have to go back to battlefront 2 now and see if it specifies in the in the skill tree or the buttons but yeah, that was kind of cool to see. Like, oh, the Wispies can do some damage too, I guess. They can fend for their home if they want to. They, they can do what they want, honestly. Give the Wispies the world. I think I just called them Wispies and Wisties uh, several okay. different times. It is Wisties, it's though. With the T. With um, the T. But we're trying. Good, good for <laughs> you and thinking of that because I'm on Wikipedia and you're correct. You have a little Wisty pouch. Um, oh, and then you can... my God. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Confirmed. And I, I, I just thought they were really fun, and I really enjoyed their silly presence. So, Sarah, we don't yeah. mess with spiders. I have arachnophobia. Oh, my God. We I was did not, not. Yeah, they should have put a spider warning up. before the film. We did not sign up for spiders. And the fact that nobody told us that there were spiders in this movie. I'm unfriending everybody. Yeah, anybody who's watched Caravan of Courage before and didn't tell us, done. Not a done. friend of the force anymore. Friendship over. No. Enemy of the force. We can't be friends anymore. Because <laughs> here we are, watching our delightful little movie, and then there are spiders. And what, am, what are we, what are we, friends of the force, supposed to do in that moment? Watch yeah. them? Get nightmares? No. No. I don't want no. nightmares. No. Absolutely I, not. I hated the spiders, even if they were puppets. They were creepy. They were really they were creepy. creepy. They were creepy. Yeah. I knew it the moment we saw like the webbing. I was like, oh, no, we're getting a big spider moment. Like, ah. So I hated that for myself and for you. Yeah. And I hated that for the children who mm -hmm. had to be subjected yeah. to that. That could really scar you as a kid. And I will say, like, I don't remember a lot from those moments because I, I looked away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I will so, say, though, spiders, another part of Lord of the Rings. You got Shelob in the, in the tunnel as they pass through to on their way to, uh, you know, Mordor. So also there's another little Potter connection. With Aragorn. Yeah. Yeah. The little, um, little, when, when uh, what was it? What was that when Harry, when he takes the little, uh, the serum? Uh, the yeah, the Felix Felicis and he's yeah. like, and he's like the pincers or whatever, and he starts doing the little <laughs> things with his fingers. Yeah, for our audio yep. listeners. Yep. 
<laughs> We've um, just been sitting here for like a minute doing the motion with our fingers, like, and he's like, <gasps> he does that in the movie. It's funny. It's great. Yeah. But I don't understand why spiders have to be a thing in fantasy movies. I would rather them not. Yeah, I just wish um, they would so not be fantasy people. In, anyways, fantasy people, writers, creators of fantasy, consider not putting spiders in your media. I just, I just a PSA, just, a, just a PSA. Didn't love the spider element. I think we should get rid of all spiders. Although I know that would be actually terrible for the they environment. The and they, pl- yeah. they play a very important part in our ecosystem, so we can't do that. But I hate mm-hmm. them. They're so scary. Daddy long legs. I don't, I don't mind because they're very non-threatening. Although they are the most poisonous because you know they just they don't have the bite to actually break your skin, um, which I just think is. Isn't that a thing? Isn't don't daddy long legs? They're actually like one of the most poisonous spiders, but they actually can't pierce your skin enough to. Well, I googled it, and it says daddy long legs are one of the most poisonous spiders, comma, but their fangs are too short to bite humans. Oh, look at that! So yeah, I didn't know that, and now you've really isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? So yeah, I will say though, uh, you know, I guess spiders are here to stay, so I'll just have to deal with it in some sense. Yeah, I guess not okay with it. We're big girls. I'll accept it. Yeah. I'm still growing up. It's fine. I'm on my way there. I believe in so you. So, Sarah, that, that wraps it up for Caravan of Courage. Let's turn it over to the more grim, uh, I'd call it a darker middle chapter, uh, which it would have been. Darker end had, chapter? <laughs> yeah, if this had turned out to be the true trilogy, it should have been. Um, we're going to turn it over to the Battle for Endor. Tonight's continuing fantasy adventure of Sindel and the Ewoks contains some scenes of suspense and jeopardy which may be too intense for very young viewers. Parents are encouraged to watch with their children. An ABC premiere presentation from the creator of the Star Wars saga. Noah, here they come! Lucasfilm journeys throughout the heavens for the mightiest combat of the galaxies. I have the power. I will give you... In no other lifetime lived any greater evil. There's no escape for you, my little one. Or any grander adventure. Ewoks. Starship Crash. Oh, Star God. Crash. Star Cruiser Crash. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Well, Star Cruiser already crashed. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Ten minutes into this movie, everyone dies. Yeah, everybody did die. It was like unexpected. I was like, no, they're gonna come back. They're gonna they're gonna make it back. And and they just never did. They're they're dead. Everybody was dead. Sindel is now an orphan. I was very upset about it. Although, you know, she finds her family with the Ewoks. And she finds her family <laughs> with let Noah. Let me tell you. I am pro found family. I agree. I am pro chosen family. But this is utter nonsense. <laughs> this, these were preventable deaths. Yeah. And her dad being like, I love you, Sindel. I'm going to go sacrifice myself now. And I was just like, this child is so traumatized. But I will say like the action really picked up at the beginning of this movie. But I just, I, okay. I will say I knew the spoiler that they died. I knew the spoiler that Sin or that, that Mace died. But I didn't know that everybody else died too. And that was just a little... A little depressorama over here because I was just beginning to really like um, Mace and also really interested in like how this family dynamic would work out. So to see them all off in the first 10 minutes of this movie for 
Sindel to be the main character was a bit of a bummer because I felt like it was a little bit perhaps wasted opportunity. Yeah, I was a little bummed. Although, you know what? Uh, Noah, played by Wilford Brimley, is, is, is a pretty solid adoptive father. Uh, he seems like a pretty nice guy, you know? It seems like he could take her on some fun adventures, teach her a couple things, and, um, you know, maybe go visit the Ewoks every Thanksgiving. Which, you know, speaking of Thanksgiving, Sarah, I, you know, this was also released in November. Um, the first mm. one was actually released, so Caravan of Courage was, was released three days after Thanksgiving. It was the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. Whereas Battle for Endor was the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So you can understand why some of these movies got such large viewings. I mean, everybody's already together as a family. You know, what are we going to watch for, for a movie this weekend? And I would say that Battle for Endor was, you know, just as successful in many ways. Although, like you're saying, you know, everybody died this film. So there was uh, a parental warning that came along, mm-hmm. a parental discretion warning before the film because of its portrayal of death. So, you know, that didn't necessarily draw as big of an audience, but I think critically it was still a pretty decent film. And I, I actually ended up liking the battle for Endor more and it, and it won an Emmy again for outstanding visual effects. Um, you know, I was looking into some of the making of the film and Lucas originally proposed killing off Sindel's family because he had just, again, this goes back to his, his daughter, Amanda, they watched the movie Heidi, who, which stars Shirley Temple, uh, in that movie, she is an orphan. And I guess he was inspired by that to make Sindel an orphan as well. And, uh, you know, he met with, uh, Jim and Ken Wheat who were brought on to write and direct it. Uh, Lucas, you know, executive produced it again, and he worked with Joe Johnston and, and Phil Tippett in this initial meeting where they planned all this together. And, you know, Lucas would visit set a couple, di- you know, three times a week, basically, and he would stamp different designs. You know, we talked about the stamp during Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. He had the stamp for the Ewok movies as well. He had the stamps He's could be had better. The stamps. <laughs> yeah, his stamps were CBB could be better. His other stamp was trash, and then there was okay. That's according to somebody that worked on the film. I forget who it was. I think it was one of the Wheat brothers that mentioned that in an interview. Just imagine George Lucas coming up to your storyboard that you've worked so hard on and been like, trash. Trash. Done. Get it out of here. I was like, oh, <laughs> ouch, ouch. No, I don't think he directed any, anything on the battle for Endor, although I did neglect to mention that for the Caravan of Courage, he directed the eight weeks of reshoots that they did in uh, August of 1984. To many people's surprise, that was actually the first bit of directing Lucas did after Return of the Jedi. It wasn't Phantom Menace. It was Caravan of Courage, actually. Mm. Fun fact. But yeah, Fun I like the Battle for Endor probably a little bit more than the Caravan of Courage just because of its focus on this sort of castle. And it's really focused more on Sindel, which I think Sindel was, for me, the most interesting character in Caravan of Courage, so it was nice to see her go on this journey with Wicket. You know, I think they're the two, they're the they're the two best buds. They're the blueprint. You know, the the OG BBA and Ray, like they are the blueprint. And it was nice to see them go on an adventure together and rescue all their friends from the evil, uh, the evil Marauders who all sound like Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> and they, you know, they kind of have that very deep raspy voice that Jabba has and makes them villains very makes them very recognizable villains 
And uh, they feel a lot like orcs, too. Again, going to Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of familiarity there. But what did you think of the battle for Endor? And, like, how did that compare for the first one? So I think for me, um, again, we talked a little bit earlier how I I like the sci-fi a little bit more. You like the fantasy a little bit more. I think with that reason in mind, I prefer Karakana Courage a little bit more than Battle for Endor. Even though Battle for Endor is more action-packed, I think I enjoyed the storybook element of Caravan of Courage a little bit more and ultimately enjoyed the arc of that film a little bit better. I didn't love our Marauder villains in this movie. I just fully didn't believe the whole castle kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So for me, Caravan of Courage had a little bit more, but this one was still quite enjoyable. And for me, my thought was like, wow, these movies are wildly different from one another, in my opinion. They have a completely different kind of fantasy bent. They tell a different kind of story. And I was surprised to see that they were like tonally different and had different sort of elements to them, even though we were in the same planet with the same couple of main characters like Wicket going from being able to say just Star Cruiser Crash to speaking essentially full sentences of basic was great, hilarious, but also a bit jarring. And you can that's one of those key things that for me signaled that there was a shift, like a real shift between these two movies in terms of the story and how they were going to go about putting the narrative together. It definitely felt more action packed. I think I, that's the aspect of it I liked. I I did like the. <laughs> I can't believe this was in it, but when they remember when they're in the castle, and they put like a trench coat on or something or like a like a robe, and uh, they literally yeah, like three, stack all the Ewoks on top of each bears other in a trench coat. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. with Wilfred Brimley like in there too at some point. Yeah. 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 Incredible stuff. Like I mean, that's the kind of like funny shenanigans I love, and I. And I, I do agree, like, you know, the, the Marauders aren't the, the most compelling villains. I think there are, they are over the top. They're probably that way. Uh, they're probably exaggerated that way for, the, you know, the purpose of kids. But I could also see how they're, you know, a lot. They could be a lot for kids to handle. Certainly, I will say, you know, Karel uh, Strukian, who played King Tarak, he did a great job. Cyan Phillips, who played Charl, the, the woman who turns into a, a, a raven. Um, she was a nice addition. Uh, I guess she'll never get her ring back, so she's just gonna be a raven forever. Uh, maybe until we get the third film eventually. I don't know. <laughs> Aubrey, Aubrey Miller, what you're doing? We could do this. Time to call maybe. everybody up. We're making a movie. <laughs> Calling the Avengers of the Ewoks. All the Ewoks are coming back. I think Warwick would do it. It's certainly it. possible. Yeah. 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 So that. The opening scene, though, you know, I think the opening scene, to go back to maybe the, the less fun part of the film, is is just this death that happens and, and this village getting burned and explosions are happening. It's very intense. It's like literally zero yeah. to 100. Very, very quick. Yeah. Um, There's blurgs. Uh, I didn't know this is where the blurgs originated from in, in The Mandalorian. That's crazy. It is really zero to 100, especially considering Caravan Courage is relatively slow. And it was really interesting to watch. And I think that for a lot of the movie, we don't really talk about the grief that they experience or that Sindel specifically experience. But there is a moment in the movie where 
Noah, I believe, and Sindel are talking about the people they lost. And they're they're having they're having that kind moment together of grieving what they lost. But I felt like that kind of got ignored for the sake of the plot. And it felt more like a plot point than an emotional beat throughout the movie. And I feel like that's kind of a little bit of a missed opportunity, but I also totally understand it because, again, this is a movie made for eight-year-olds, and that's okay. Yeah, well, I thought I saw some Last Jedi parallels, (laughs) interestingly enough, when her father tells her, I'll always be with you, which is like what we say, we hear Luke tell Ben. Um, Not in like, you know, a super kind way. It's kind of like a, a... a mocking way, you know, like, I'll always be with you, even if you take me down. Although he does mean it in a little bit of a sincere way, like, you know, this, you know, killing me won't get rid of your problems. Likewise, you know, mm-hmm. her father telling her that is is him saying, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm not here, I'm always going to be with you, like, in spirit. And Noah says, if you remember that, and you remember all the things he said to you, and if you remember how much he loved you, then he'll never be gone. And she says, but it hurts. Mm. And, you know, I think that was one of the better more relatable moments of the film you know just kind of the idea of loss and you know yeah it's always going to hurt it does hurt but if you just kind of remember all the things that they said to you or you know people that you lose in your life remember what they said to you and how they made you feel and how they made you feel loved you know they never really leave you it's just that they're you know kind of in a different form now you know they're they're you know they're just not with us likewise you know in the star wars universe people you know become part of the cosmic force when they pass you know they're they're just different it's just a new sort of thing beyond death so i thought that was i I thought that was a pretty serious topic for a kid's film honestly like and i thought again it it kind of tied nicely to some of the themes of star wars and the last jedi specifically of no one's ever really gone right it's the memory that you keep living it's the memory of them that you keep living even in Mm. their death that matters you know because you know we all die at some point but it's kind of how you handle that legacy and, and that memory. And I think Sindel's a great, uh, you know, going back to the candle, you know, the candle of pure light, the candle doesn't blow out. Right. Mm-hmm. So if her memory of her father never blows out, you know, she can think of it that way. It's, you know, it's her, it's her new candle that she has to keep the flame going for, you know, it's that pure light in her life that, you know, it will never, it will never extinguish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what I have to add to that, but I, but I think that's really, really valid and interesting and i i think that's a great point that you brought up did you have any favorite parts of this film anything that stuck out to you teak yeah let's talk about teak for a little bit let's go let's on talk teak. about teak teak is the greatest thing ever teak is the cutest um we talked about it a little bit before we talked about the movies specifically but like teak runs so fast cute chaotic hilarious chaotic I really enjoyed the addition of Teak. Teak really made me smile. I I loved his chaotic, positive energy and his playfulness. And I think the playfulness, and I think the playful energy that that character brought to the second movie was really the highlight of it all. Mm -hmm. I love when he sneaks out of the hut and brings them snacks on the log when Noah tells him explicitly not to. He's like, don't do that. And he's like, okay. And he kind of starts creeping away from the table. And he runs really fast and brings it to him. Like, he's got such a good heart. Yeah, and he really he really cared for them and was ready to nurture them and make sure that they were cared for. And, you know, now that we're talking about it, you mentioned a good heart. You know who that makes me think of? Niku. 
Nico. We were on the same page there. I just really love a good-hearted character who's ready to care for, care for those around them unconditionally. And I feel like Teak really did that, despite Noah's insistence that he not. And he really kind of showed Noah who they were. I could see Niku and Teak being best friends, for sure. That's cute. I Someone write that fic, please. That, that'd be a that great idea. fic. Yeah. I just imagine like Teak running around and like causing chaos and then Niku being like, Teak, you cannot get me another. Well, actually, he'd be like, I got you a Gorg. <laughs> and Niku would be like, thank you, friend. What a kind gift. But you cannot get Gorgs all the time. We have to pay the man. <laughs> <laughs> You can't you, keep you stealing can't steal the Gorgs, Teep. Well, the Gorgs, yeah, yeah. I just imagined that Teep <laughs> would steal Gorgs from the Gorg salesman. And um, yeah. Niku would be like, thank you, friend. That was a yummy, yummy meal. But also, <laughs> we have to pay our, man, our friend, you know, because he is our friend and we respect his business. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine that they would be like a little bit opposed, but they would also be really caring and be really good friends to each other. Yeah. Yeah, there were light, like a lot of lighthearted moments. I think Teak was definitely the the focal point there, and he mm-hmm. made he just made everything feel like feel really good. So we talked a little bit about the trench coat three three porgs in a trench coat. Except it's Teak, Noah, and Wicket. None of them are porgs. Um, can we talk about how the keys went down the drain and how some of the oh prisoners are really there forever and ever? God, Sindel's just like no, and then she takes them and throws them. I'm like, oh wow. Yeah, that was really iconic. But also, there's a point where they're all kind of running. All the all the marauders are running out of the door, and one guy's holding the door open, and then his toes get stepped on a bunch. <laughs> and he's like, and there's a like shot of his foot, and he's like, ah. And I'm like, yeah. This is this is great. And then, I mean, there were like moments of levity in this, other than Teak, that kept kept the mood fun. What did you think about the power source being the central kind of problem in this movie? Mm. What 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 were your thoughts on that? Now, I'm going to put it in Lord of the Rings terms again. You know, you have the one ring, right? The Mm -hmm. ring is kind of the thing everybody's everybody's vying for. They they want it because it brings them immeasurable power. Likewise, this crystal, I mean, I think they're going to use it to harness the power of and their weapons and possibly to bring them off planet to go maraud other places. Um, that seems to be their, their MO is to, you know, get a ship. I think it's to get a ship and get out of there, you know, and kind of mm-hmm. conquer other surrounding areas, especially, you know, the, the Endor system. It's got a ton of different moons that they could go and conquer. The desert moon, yeah. the ocean moon, the forest moon, the regular yeah. moon. Yeah. That's a joke. There, no, I actually think those are real. There's a whole uh, star chart in the Rise of Skywalker visual dictionary, I think, that has the entire indoor system um, because, you know, the, the moon was featured in that movie. Oh, oh but, yeah, Kefbeer. That's the ocean moon. Kefbeer, yeah, that's one of the other, that's one of the other places. I, for, I, I blocked that name out of my memory for obvious reasons. But uh, I, I, you know, I think in terms of this being the, the core struggle of the film, I thought was interesting, especially, again, when you set it in the backdrop of this very fantastical film that is very tied to the more natural elements of the universe. And then you have this thing that is so starkly juxtaposed to, to all of that, right? It's a piece of technology. 
and Star Wars has kind of always been this story of what's the balance between technology and what's the balance between nature. Yes, it is a long time ago with a bunch of very big pieces of futuristic technology like lightsabers and starships. But when do those things start to outweigh, you know, the force and, you know, the rocks and the trees and all the things that connect us together? And so, like, you don't want you don't want technology to necessarily overpower that or else you lose what makes the force special, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that was something that Lucas even wanted to play with. And in his own version of the sequel trilogy was the idea of like midichlorians almost being like used scientifically somehow like scientifically engineering them in a way um to make them you know to make other people force sensitive and i think that's even something that probably giancarlo's character moff moff gideon and and the mandalorian wanted to do he wanted he wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of take the more he wanted to take what was natural and make it unnatural through scientific means right because we see him experimenting on navarro with like these you know these test tubes and he makes the super soldiers the dark troopers so mm-hmm. that's like a recurring theme that we see in Star Wars. And I think that this is such like a simple, simplified version of that. It's just like, oh, it's a power converter for a ship that they're going after. Right. It's not like too nuanced, but it's simple enough for a kid to maybe understand that like, oh, here's this like very obviously like bright, shining piece of technology that they all want. And they're in a forest trying to fight for it. Like, you know, what does that mean? I think it's also really interesting that the Marauders kind of had a fundamental misunderstanding of what the power cord did. That too, yeah. Because I think it's Sindel who says that this isn't good for anything. You just have to plug it into something. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like on its own, it doesn't do a darn thing. It needs all the other tools to work. And I think the Marauders thought of it a little bit like magic. And I think... Sindel and Noah understood, obviously, because they come from that technology culture, like understood that it was just a piece of the pie, a very important piece of the pie for them to be able to get off their planet. And I think that that's the piece of the pie that um, the Marauders understood, but they didn't understand how all the things around it work. So they were they were trying to have an understanding of something that wasn't understandable to them. If that makes sense. Or that yeah. they just did not have a comprehensive understanding of. Yeah. It's they, like, um, they were too focused on one piece of it rather than the sum of the parts. Like, yeah, yeah it was. Uh, it, yes. Or, or, or like, you know, um, early psychologists, psychiatrists, those sorts of people being like, oh, if you go all the way around your body or all the way around your brain, you know, one degree to the right controls the head, one degree to the right controls your, you know, the way that the brain is organized when they had right. no understanding of what the brain actually did. Um, those sorts of that. That's kind of what I'm getting at there. Yeah. And or like when people thought so, when people thought that the earth was at the center of the of the of the universe. <laughs> the geocentric model versus the heliocentric model. Yes, oh, I yeah. do know that. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Copernicus. Ugh. What a guy. Nicholas. Um, anyway. Yeah. Um, I love we my We should do a podcast century. episode on him. <laughs> Nicholas Copernicus. Can we also do it on Tico Brahe? Yeah. Sure. Why not? Nicholas Copernicus. These are, these are names I want to name my dogs. Um, yes. Copernicus <laughs> Brahe um, or Tico. T-Y-C-H-O. Um, because well, now you got to name one of your dogs, Teak. <gasps> so it kind, of, it kind of is close. It's kind of close to that. I will consider. Maybe will find the consider. happy medium there. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting that at the end of the day, what ends up 
getting Tarek is not the science of it all, is not the unknowable, the known to Noah and Sindel, the known to the humans. That's not what ends up getting him and besting him. It's actually his own magic, his own crystal, the red crystal, that ends up being his doom. And I don't know if I've thought critically enough about this to think about what it all could mean, but it is interesting that it wasn't the thing that he wanted command of, that he didn't have a full understanding of, that that bested him, but the thing that he did have command of, and I guess fully didn't understand that bested him. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, that's an interesting point. It's kind of, it, it's, it's, yeah. You lose sight of of the threats and the dangers that lie in front of you because you're so fixated on what's ahead, right? It's like to bring it back to Lord of the Rings. We're making this a Do Lord it. of the Rings episode, you know. It's like when at the end of Return of the King, which spoilers if you haven't seen a film that came out 18 years ago, you should definitely <laughs> go do that because it's a great movie that won Best Picture and it's amazing. But at the end of Return of the King, Gollum bites off the 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 finger of Frodo and mm-hmm. takes his ring off and what does he do in that moment he is so fixated on the ring that he is completely missing the fact that he is losing his balance and he is stumbling off the backs of this rock into the volcano like he is literally cradling that thing as he's falling he is so mm-hmm. like invested in the ring he doesn't see the danger behind him. And it's not until he's like literally in the lava, right? That, you know, he's, he's trying to keep his hand out. And the, the ring is the last thing to, to be sitting on the lava. He's the one, he's fully inside of it. So like, I think that's another great instance of like a villain with a ring. You know, I, I think, I just think of the imagery between those two characters and I'm like, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious, you know, just like what do our, well, like what is our selfishness? Where does that lead us? And I think George has always been a, a firm proponent that, you know, if you're too selfish, you fall to the dark side and bad things happen. You know, it's like, you know, the point of the movies is to uh, love one another and be compassionate and not mm-hmm. selfish. And I think the Marauders are a great example of selfishness and how it can it can best you. Right. So it's yeah, all the fundamental yeah. Star Wars teachings in, in, in this film. It's just simplified for a younger audience. Definitely. I agree. Sarah, do you have any other thoughts on the the battle for Endor? Any other things that stuck out to you and really keep you? I, I will say actually, um, the the phrase skin glider. We 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 haven't really talked. Oh, specifically we did not about talk that. about skin glider nearly um, enough. Don't Horrifying like negative phrase. five out of ten. Don't like that phrase. This makes my yeah. skin. It makes my skin crawl. Actually, speaking of skin, so uh, ugh, God, I hate saying it. <laughs> uh, these movies have some great establishing shots. Uh, there's a lot of great. A lot, of, a lot of those, especially in the first and second movie, there's a really good one in the second one, I think, um, like with the castle. Uh, I love that one when, when she's on the horse mm-hmm, riding mm-hmm. towards the castle. That's great. And actually, if you see how they made those, we'll, we'll post the um, videos of the making of these movies. It was a fan-made video, but they show the composition footage of, of how the, you know, they took one composite image onto another. But the, the castle's actually a miniature. So that's, that's really cool. And yeah, yeah. Oh, some cool technology and also matte, matte paintings. Yeah. Yeah. Matte paintings in this. Absolutely. Great. Great stuff. I mean, love it. The, the fact that they use a lot of matte paintings and a lot of puppets in this film 
that was that really made these films have a unique look to them for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that about wraps it up, Sarah. I mean, we talked about both the movies. We talked about the High Republic books today. We talked about quite a bit. So I mm-hmm. think that is a good place to call it. So Sarah, last thing I want to hear from you before you tell people where they can find you online is what would you say to this pair of Ewok films as you say goodbye? And uh, what are your final, final thoughts on them as a whole? My final, final thoughts on them are just that it's okay to be silly. I've said that before. I will say it again. But like, it's okay to for things not to be serious all the time. And that these are perfectly fine movies, which if you got through this whole episode and haven't watched them, you should go do. Or if you have listened to this episode and haven't watched them in a while, go rewatch them. If you have kids, watch it with them and see their reactions to these movies. Does it, does it resonate with them? Because I think that having these movies on Disney Plus readily accessible to the people, to the masses, is just a great way to allow people to enjoy these movies, whether they're canon or not, and bring them to a whole new generation of young audiences. And I'm all for that. So A plus for the Ewok movies existing and A plus for the Ewok movies being accessible to us so that we got to watch it together. It was a good time. Good time all around. Yeah, my final thoughts are I think these two films are a perfect example of just, again, don't take Star Wars too seriously. We should always want good quality out of our Star Wars and and we should, you know, we should hopefully get impactful stories that, you know, leave a, a big imprint on us. But also sometimes you just need the silliness. You need the ridiculousness. You need, you need just Ewoks on a fun little adventure wearing silly little hats. and that's sometimes good enough to just get us through the dark times, right? We're in a pandemic right now and watching something like this is just a a bright joy uh, on everybody. And maybe not the battle for Endor when all of Sindel's family is killed, but I think, I think these are still just great movies to sort of throw back to and have a good time with. And remember that, you know, Star Wars was made, was made for kids. These movies were made for George's daughter, Amanda. And that's that's the only reason he wanted to do him. He just wanted to. He's like, oh, you like Ewoks? Well, I'll make this Ewok film for you and make you happy. And, you know, when you think of the final line of the the first film, like we said, you know, courage, loyalty and love are the strongest forces of the universe. Uh, It's such a simple concept that if you're watching as a kid that sticks with you, hopefully. And you realize, you know, that's all we can really you know, that's all we can do for each other is just uh, is just show love, which is one of George's firm firm beliefs is just to love each other. So I think, again, feel good movie, lots of fun, lots of silly. And sometimes we need that. And we don't always have to take this stuff so seriously. Sometimes we can just have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And we can watch them go rescue some Ewoks from a castle and somehow save the day once again. Like they can take down empires. They can take down marauders. Ewoks can do whatever they want. So we need more Ewok content, in my opinion. We don't have nearly enough. More murder bears. I'm telling you now, Sarah, I need that Joe Johnston book from uh, the 1980s. The the book he made with, uh, I think it's Low Gray. Um, I need that really bad. Time to go scour eBay. Yeah. Yeah. Thrift uh, books. Don't, and... don't tempt oh, me. Oh, just kidding. Who? What? There are websites for that? Never heard of them. Wouldn't even know never, where to direct you. Never heard of eBay before. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you want to know what specifically what I'm talking about, people, it's called The Adventures of Tebow, A Tale of Magic and Suspense, and it's written and illustrated by Joe Johnston, and it's the cutest book ever. So uh, I'm probably actually going to go buy it now. Somehow. But Sarah, until uh, next time, hopefully by then I will own the book, where can people find you online? You can find me at Sarah's Puzzle Pages on Instagram, at SEH221 on Twitter, Goodreads, and Letterboxd. As for Friends of the Forest, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Please leave a five-star written review wherever you're listening to the podcast to help others find the show. And if you'd be so kind, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash friends of the forest. That's another great way to support the show. It costs money to run this podcast, and every patron helps tremendously. So thank you to all of our patrons, Amy, Anna, Brian, Brian, Cheryl, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jesse, Knights of Ren, Levi, Lindsay, Marie-Claire, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, Skytalkers, and T. So thank you all for being proud patrons. We really, really appreciate your support. Next time on Friends of the Force, Sarah and I are talking about, you guessed it, it's award season, baby. We're talking about the Oscars, but specifically, we're talking about a history of Star Wars at the Oscars. We're going to go through some of the greatest moments. Very excited for that, Sarah, next week. For all of you listening, thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you for your patience in this episode getting out. I'm feeling better. We're all feeling great now. Make sure you're hydrating, staying safe, wear your mask. And until next time, may the Force be with you always. Bye!